0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Twila After Show podcast. And this is sort of the after the 40th anniversary <laughs> podcast, Twila After Show podcast. It's a it's, lot of after. There's yeah, a it's lot been of after. A, we've had a lot
1: of afters since the after. And it's also <laughs> an after n- not actually shooting the show for once. Right. We usually are just finishing, getting off set, and we're all sitting around yeah avery's wiping his makeup off typically and we've been busy that is not the case today and you but
2: usually it takes me what three hours to get all the makeup off because i've got it you know spackled into the all of of the the grooves and lines that make
0: up my face no the actual reason we're shooting it today is or, or recording this today is because uh we sent kristen home early she's not here with us it's just avery and carl and myself neil here doing this podcast uh, we sent Kristen home after that storm that was coming through which was a good thing because there were a lot of tornadoes that the thing spawned
2: yeah one uh, um, touchdown in slidell they had the one in lake charles over, over in lake charles didn't it mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's where where else in the state do we need more damage right. i mean i can i cannot believe what's been happening over in that part of the state i feel for those folks so much and we've got friends there um it just, it, it tears me up. You have two major hurricanes, nice storm, mm-hmm. tornado, flood. It's, it's I just. I
0: some reefs missing from that. Yeah. That, that, it's, tornado. that That's almost a perfect segue
1: into something you've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Avery, did you mean to do that? Well, did, did no, that no, no, I, just, I didn't. It just but, happened.
2: Um, so, yeah. Don't you love when the, the segues happen on their own? Um, Speaking of damage. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we had, um. All this damage, and we've had folks who've been waiting for funding from the USDA, disaster funding, disaster aid, that's already paid for. The money's there, okay? But it just has not been distributed. And the big question is why? Why USDA? Why aren't you paying these people, these farmers and ranchers, what they've applied for, what's already funded? So um, Andy Brown, who we have on the, uh, the Grassroots Government podcast, said, hey, let's get Zippy Duval, the American Farm Bureau president, down here so he can see firsthand what we're putting up with and what we're going to be facing now that we have all the folks from Hurricanes Laura and Delta already in the pipeline. All these people from Hurricane Ida are going to be behind them. I mean, unfortunately, we had Congresswoman Julia Letlow get some funding for WHIP Plus, which is going to help out, out a lot of folks, but it still doesn't get the money into the hands of farmers and ranchers who've applied for things that are already funded. I you know I keep going back to that, but money's there. Yeah, it'd be like, oh, that money's in the pot over there, but you can't touch it. Mm. You can't have it. We're not going to give it to you yet. Why? Because mm-hmm. we're just not giving it out yet. Sadly,
0: that's the history of the ad hoc disaster payments, though. I mean, this is fairly typical for. Well, A that's the, it.
2: that's the thing. This isn't even ad hoc. This didn't have to have congressional approval. This right. is stuff that's already in the farm bill, bill yeah. for crying out loud. So uh, ha- Zippy Duval was gracious, came down. He got to tour Falcon Rice Mill, which we didn't get into the show just because time. Mm-hmm. You know, we only have so much time that we have in the show. Uh, but then we went over to uh, Brandon and Danielle Vales over there in Lake- just south of Lake Charles in Calcasieu Parish. They're living in a seven hundred square foot apartment.
1: Just added onto their barn.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's part of the barn because their house is still unlivable from a storm that happened more than a year ago. the The top of their hay barn still has this this tin, and I even talked to Zippy about this later. It's like you hear this tin banging all the time, banging all the time. It's just a constant reminder of what happened, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying. You'd go up there and fix it, but it's just a constant reminder, even if it's in the back of your head, of the, the trauma you went through, you know? And
0: they got a new baby on top of that.
2: Right. So all of that, all of that to say, you know, we, we saw that and then um, he, we went to Zeno Grain because Zeno Grain was shut down for almost two weeks after Hurricane Ida. Uh, one of ten export facilities on the Lower Mississippi. It might be Cargill and Reserve. It's going to be a while before that is back up and running because those uh conveyors over the road from between the river and the elevator just completely collapsed. However, Zeno got back up and running, and he had never been to a grain export facility before. Really? Yeah, it was that's his crazy first to me. Time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and he's been traveling.
0: He's been in nineteen states so se- far. Yeah, yeah, seventeen today, states, yeah. I think, since June. Right. So, uh, I mean, he's. It's not like he's not getting out there, but yeah, it's just one of those things. But, but it's, it's also it's typical of you know a lot of farmers is that you you know your business and you know what you do, but. Outside of that, you know, because you're so busy with that, you don't really get to see all of that kind of stuff. So that's great that he got to see
2: that. That in Louisiana is the the only state with the Mississippi River flowing True. through yeah. it, right. where
1: it is. So We're you on, know, only <laughs> well, what, what is yeah. How much? How much of our of the country's exports go down through the Mississippi? I mean, did we talk about that in the yes. story? I think.
2: Yeah, sixty percent of all grain exported from the United States goes down the Mississippi River. So. Think about how much, and that's something that that uh, President Duval brought up was that a, a block up, a blockage here, something that stops the flow of grain. I'm going to make a Dune reference here. The grain must flow. Uh, something that stops the the flow of grain here goes all the way up the river into the Midwest.
1: Literally upstream.
2: It stops yep. the barges. Barges were stuck on the river, right? Not able to deliver grain. The great thing about Zeno and this. I wasn't able to work this into the story, but God, I wish I could have. Um, their employees, the day after Hurricane Ida hit, about 40 of their 200-plus employees showed up to work to get things back up and running. Mm-hmm. Within, They then broke into teams to take care of each other's houses and take care of their neighbors. Um, Pete Dufresne, who's the parish president there in St. James Parish, said – Zeno was the first organization to reach out to him and say, what can we do to help? And provided generators, provided everything that folks needed in that area. Just absolutely went above and beyond. They had that grain elevator operational in less than two weeks. Yeah. In September, their goal was to ship out 39 million bushels of grain. They did ship out. 36 million bushels of grain so despite being shut down for two weeks they missed their goal by three million bushels that's incredible to me they turned
1: around and started moving some grain real quick Mm -hmm. yeah
2: well but more importantly they they knew that that had to that had to flow for people to be able to eat in Mm -hmm. japan that had to to flow in order for there to be feed for those cattle in japan uh, the Japanese
0: have a reputation of rebuilding quickly, and uh, we could learn something from them in, the, in that regard in terms of speed and working together and getting things done. But that said, uh, farmers and ranchers are notorious for working together and getting things done ahead of storms, after storms. Uh, and so it's good to hear that that's, the, you know, it's a bright spot amid all this disaster.
1: That's actually a perfect segue into my story from this week's show. But before we go to that. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna, I mean, I got to, I got to claim that good segue, but <laughs> Neil, you've done stories with the veils every year, you were talking about the veils mm-hmm. right. and you mentioned their baby they've had and yeah. like, they've gone through a lot they in have. the last couple of years, I guess Avery, I mean, cause we've had those couple of stories to build on with the veils and they're kind of the resilience that they've, I guess, displayed for, you know, all of us to be, you know, mm-hmm. inspired by. What is their outlook living in the 700 foot apartment with a brand new, a newborn still doing the work
2: of the farm? Brandon said, We're blessed. <laughs> We're fortunate because there are other people who are still living in campers. There are other people who are still without a home altogether. So um, I think that speaks to his character, to Danielle's character, and to what they're instilling in little Amelia is that, you know, we. We might not have much, but we're thankful for what the Lord has blessed us with. And that really, I, I mean, that, I, 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 every time I speak with them, I just gain more and more respect.
0: They do a great job, and, and that's true. But in talking with them, uh, Brandon did say there are days when it's not fun. Yeah. And, and it's not living in that apartment. I mean, he's, he's grateful for that, like Avery said. but um, that's what concerns me the most uh because the reason the veils and people like them do what they do is for a love of it and when that starts to wear thin then you really start to you know worry about whether or not they're going to continue doing so because they have options Mm -hmm. you know and uh you know, we had we talked about that. I heard you guys talk about that on the grassroots government podcast is what happens when the people who make our food and don't want to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, love
2: can only take you so far. Right. Yep. You know, you got to still be able to pay some bills. I mean, and and let's think about what we're seeing right now with supply chain issues with consumer products. Right. Imagine if we had to do that with our food as well. And we're seeing you that, though. Yeah. You don't have to look far, though. You don't have to look far to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. In when, Neil, you and I have both been to Cuba, mm-hmm. 80% of all food there is imported. Right. And because they're not able to get much of it from the United States, it's pretty poor quality. Yeah. I, I can count on two fingers the number of good meals I had in Cuba. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I mean, the other aspect about that is, is that I don't worry about the United States being able to produce food. It will. The thing is, is that how long can you go without eating? I mean, if the supply chain were to completely break down in seven days, everybody'd be starved to death you know, who didn't have a supply of food. So it's, it's, I mean, you know, a year from now, two years from now, we could rebuild that infrastructure. but. We don't have that in terms of feeding the country, so mm-hmm. you know the 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 supply chain is a big issue, um, and it, it it's something I think we're going to see this Christmas, especially with Amazon and gift stuff. They're talking about big delays or ships, you know, hanging off off the. Mm-hmm. And without that culture that you see, like with Zeno, or you know, in in rural areas where they get together and work to resolve problems like that, I mean. it's, it's,
2: it's just, it's going to be bad for us. But I am going to say this, people in Louisiana will not starve because gosh, darn it, if it crawls and we can kill it, it (laughs) makes a good sauce piquant. Sure. And I mean,
0: (laughs) that's, you know, we will get back to basic food production one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think the appeal here is to how make sure that, the people who do so and supply us with the abundance that we have, have every resource and advantage. And mm-hmm. that's the USDA needs to get the, the money to those people. And we need to develop better relationships, you know, with farmers and ranchers in general so they feel supported and continue production.
2: And Louisiana Farm Bureau sent a letter to Secretary Vilsack, Vilsack right. saying that. Um, so, you know, we've, we've done that. Both Congresswoman Letlow and Congressman Higgins have both signed on support to what that let the message of that letter we really are blessed with having you know a good delegation here in louisiana to 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 really support what louisiana farm bureau does definitely
1: well let's go back to that awesome segue you made oh, we're, a minute we're, ago. which we didn't segue mm-hmm. no we're gonna actually use that i'm, I'm segue? gonna i don't own a segue Okay, never been on a Segway actually but to pull that back though farmers helping each other and like coming together and I mean, be it employees of Zeno or farmers that you know, maybe were not in the path of Ida. And that's a- Avery's lead to his story this week about the, the facility there in, at Zeno made me like light up because it's like, Oh, that's a perfect segue into my story about Ida relief that happened mm-hmm. down in Montague that I went down to um, just see a community get loved on. And that's, that's a real churchy term, love, loving on people. But, uh, the, there's an organization that kind of formed, I think pretty just organically called Homas where the heart is. And I don't even know. I think Shay Cox had something to do with starting that. And I know that, uh, Lauren bro, cockeyed farmer, Avery, you've done story mm-hmm. on her. She was very involved. They're both from that area, that Homa area. And, this organization just kind of formed of people that were from Homa, in Homa, or were, you know, displaced from Homa or whatever. And that's, they all kind of came together to start collecting items to go and give some love to this small fishing village, Montague. I don't, and I know we've probably all three been through there, but it's one of those places that's, it's a dot on the map. Yeah. And uh, it's right along the Bayou Terre- Terrebonne, And uh, it was really cool to see. There were hundreds of volunteers there. And they kind of created this assembly line, essentially, for the cars to just drive through this circle. And they had tents set up. They had people, you know, cooking jambalaya, frying fish, frying chicken. And they had all these supply stations set up. And they had, like I said, hundreds of volunteers there, you know, just People had their trunks open or they had, you know, the bed of their truck empty and people were just coming by and dropping cases of water, Uh bleach, uh, disinfectant wipes, all these like paper towels, rolls of paper towels, whatever it may be. Just supplies to kind of trash bags Uh to get these, you know, affected families uh, something to kind of get going. And they obviously hot meals, you know, Uh, and it was really a cool thing to see because you just saw people just smiling, biggest smiling faces. Yeah, Giving those items and then also receiving those items. They were just so thankful. The connection there, Lauren Bro, who got us involved, was uh, the Louisiana Women in Agriculture. And Lauren is involved in that organization. Uh, so as Denise came to she's mm-hmm. the president of that organization. So Lauren reached out to Denise and the board and said, hey, can we put a call out to all of our Women and see what supplies we can gather. And Lauren is still getting things delivered to her house that women in agriculture are buying. And she's the one that delivered a lot of that. And she had a handful of women that came down to actually serve in Montague, which for anyone curious, it's about what, maybe an hour, I'm guessing, south of Homa, yeah. 45 minutes south of mm-hmm. Homa in disaster plagued uh, roads. So it was a journey for some of these people that came from Opelousas, Alexandria, Monroe. Like that is a journey to come down on a Saturday. So it was really impressive and she was really thankful for all the women in agriculture that were she was kind of helping represent. Um so but it was just a really cool thing and she talked about the Louisiana being an ag state and uh this is just a picture of what farmers do. Whenever, if if they're not affected, they go and help those that were. Right. And I thought that was just a really cool story that she was just so proud to be part of that that help that came to that that small town that that fishing fishing town. Yeah. Can
2: I just gush on Lauren Bro for just a little bit? I'm sure she probably because gushes on you too, no, like on no, your I mean, amazing
1: storytelling.
2: No, no, it's not. It's not. She is one of these people who won. The moment that you're around her, you're like, wow, I, I, I feel like we can do anything. She, and she is an absolute doer, okay? Mm. So if she has an idea, it's not just going to kind of sit like to the back of her head or spout out and then be forgotten, kind of like what I normally do. Um, she is going to absolutely go full Take action. force into it. She's going to lean in every time. She inspires positivity around the people, you know, and the people who are around her. Um, What she did with the Farmer Veteran Coalition here in Louisiana, starting it up from absolutely no chapter whatsoever to making it something where it has a sizable following on Facebook, where veterans and farmers are being connected. I mean, obviously, her, her husband, Brandon, was the inspiration there, him being a veteran and You know, it's it's never someone who's a veteran is never alone in that. The spouse is always a veteran as well. And in so many ways, having to keep the family together and that sort of thing. But I just had to, you know, it doesn't surprise me that she would do something like this and get Louisiana women in ag involved because she is such a doer and just absolutely inspires those around her. So there you go, Lauren. Uh, You can send the twenty dollars to me now.
0: It, it, it is a great, the Louisiana Women in Ag is a great organization. And unfortunately, they haven't been able to do a whole lot with COVID over the last couple of years. So it's good to see that they were able to put their energies into this project because Denise Canatella is another one of those women yep. who's a doer. And, and you know, when she gets a idea about it, she pursues it. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that they were able to find a way to serve.
1: I will say this to kind of wrap this story up, but. Lauren, I talked to Lauren just to kind of double check and like kind of follow up because it's, it's been weeks since this event actually happened that I'm actually getting the story to, to Twyla. But she said there are still organizations gathering resources, coming and putting boots on the ground and working in these in Homa and these surrounding communities because the damage is still there and people are still rebuilding and still putting their lives back together. But she still has an Amazon shopping list that we are going to share a link to in the description if you want to go help buy some of those get items mm-hmm. they're going to lauren they're going to be shipped to lauren but she's going to distribute those to those communities that are in need uh so if you, you want to help if i mean it can be something from a ten dollar amazon uh purchase to uh, however much you want to spend but there are also these other communities i think they've given me links she and shay have both given me links i'm going to put Some stuff in the description if you want to get involved and help some of these communities, Uh, especially right now. I think one of the things they're working on is trying to work towards Thanksgiving, which is just a few weeks away now and finding ways to sponsor families who are displaced uh, and affected so much by Ida, finding ways for families like me or Neil or Avery to sponsor a family's Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so they're working on that, some logistics there and maybe another Twila story coming up. But that's just some some ways that we can get involved and help some of these communities, even without, you know, driving to Montague or Homa or mm-hmm. uh Thibodeau. So anyways, that's it, it's cool that there's it's not just when the storm's there and the news cameras are there, that they're still
0: involved and that's Which I guess, is important. I mean they're still pulling shrimp boats out of the muck in a lot of those bayous. And they got to do that one at a time with the same equipment each time and pull them out, get them thing. I just saw, I follow Frost Top Laplace after I did that story on them. They just got back power yesterday. Wow. wow. The damage, I mean, is still there. And I know communities south of there, La Rose and, you know, all of mm-hmm. those places, Galliano, where I went, um, all are there. A hey, Grand Isle is still closed to yeah. visitors,
1: and um, we're, we're we're two months past. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think today, today probably, yeah. yeah. So, and it's going to be another the other months before, if Lake Charles is any indication. Like, it's going to be it's going to be a long road for all right. of these communities. So, a lot of communities that are vital to Louisiana in our culture that mm-hmm. that we hold so dear and we're so proud of, like our fisheries. Like that's, that's
0: what makes Louisiana who we are. Right. So, and, uh, Cindy Garcia, who works for Farm Bureau a long time, they have a camp in Grand Isle that's Mm -hmm. gone, Yep, you know, uh, so, I mean, they're still figuring out what they're going to do relative to all that.
1: Can we, can we go to a happier story? Sure. (laughs) Neil, Uh, do you have
0: any happy stories? I do. I did my story on a tea house that's being built in Amy, Louisiana. More tea, governor. Yeah and indeed um it is as far as i know the first tea being grown in louisiana not the least of which is because our climate is just not conducive to them but they have been growing tea plants this guy david baron who owns the land uh was given about 2000 tea plants in 2017 put them in the ground they're flourishing they got mm. snow that year um twice in that area and the Plants thrived and flourished for did, them. Did you say where he's at? He's in Amy. hmm So, still pretty, pretty South Louisiana. Yeah.
1: Where, where does tea typically grow? I'm typically,
0: it grows in the mountains um, and is in sandy soil that has runoff. So, elevation and where the tea, you know, the plants are located, is part of the deal because up there in the mountains, when rain falls, gravity, even regardless of the soil, gravity pulls it off. So it needs a drier. Or... sandy soil as well. So, I mean, it drains already. So that's two things working against us. One, there's not a lot of elevation in Louisiana. And two, there's clay soils. And even in meet, where it's a little higher, they do have a little more uh, geography, as, mm-hmm. as some people <laughs> like to say, uh, in that area. But even still, it's just not anything compared to where it's grown natively. But they're doing hybrids they're um uh he has a guy um uh hans marches who uh mark marquez who um is working to breed some of these and they've got greenhouses they're using n r c s to help you know with some of the funding and structure there but the the tea house is mostly built it looks like about three quarters done and they should be open in the spring of uh next year and so um uh you see i mean they grow they take the the tenderest leaves the ones that are new and they pluck them and so um as you'll hear in the story the interesting thing is is that they look like tea plants that you see in asia and china and japan uh but they can live up to 1500 years What? it's like olive trees they're they wow. they had tea farms there since you know well before the founding of america and and you know i mean back you know even beyond feudal times
1: wow so is it going to be kind of like a a winery at a vineyard maybe the the tea house
0: he's got some contracts i don't talk about this too much in the story but uh he's had folks in that area clubs like the camellia club which interestingly enough the tea plant is in the camellia family Hmm. um the approach him to do events there it's going to be kind of like an event center a multi-purpose center Mm -hmm. but ideally what he wants to do weddings as well he wants gotcha. to have weddings and, and that sort of thing
1: oh it's beautiful the shots you have i mean it's a beautiful
0: place yeah i was just um, curious
1: the layout like
0: it's uh a, uh a, a big open space in the front but you had all this like windows and any he, he um uh the interesting thing is he's got this um he liked he'd like to collect synchrocypers David Barron, I should go back. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, sidetracking here a lot. But David Barron is a retired machinist. And so he did a he worked with his hands all his life. But he would do things along that lines, like he would go and find Louisiana sinker cypress in the area around Maurepa and he would collect the stuff. And so he made the door to the bathroom out of Louisiana sinker cypress and all the colors that you see in that that shot. I mean, these multiple, multiple grains and different colors, all natural. And wow, it's just aged.
1: Can I ask a really ignorant North Please, Louisiana question? Yeah, what is sinker cypress?
0: It is cypress trees that have sat at the bottom of bogs and bayous, and okay. because the the bog peat uh, has preserved has a preservative quality, it preserves the the um the the wood in there, and it can preserve it for sometimes literally thousands of years.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's there are a bunch of folks who will just go out in the swamp and look for it. Um, I saw Rick Porche from WAFB did a story recently with a, a guy over in Denham Springs. Oh yeah, who okay. goes out and finds? the- So that's
1: this like beautiful old wood that people will carve into stuff. Mm-hmm. Correct.
0: And he used it for a door. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so he thinks it's millennia old that it's been wow. sitting in there for thousands of years.
1: Like I said, I saw it in the video
0: and it was just beautiful. I was yeah. like, man. Yeah. So and so and and by the way, guys, machinists are people who can literally do anything. They literally build <laughs> anything. They can do anything. So this is just, you know, like build a tea house in the middle of nowhere. Sure. You know. I, a, I've got some a old cypress yeah. and you know, he got a tractor and went at it. And so um another uh, doer. Another doer. And so Um, it should be very interesting. Uh, his manager, which is the guy Hans, um, runs a tea shop in New Orleans. And so what they're hoping to do is have that tap into that local market, local commodities and grow their own tea. Right now they're just doing the black teas like we use in Southern tea Mm -hmm. as well as a green tea. Um, but they're tapped into this trend, uh, of tea drinking because it has, it's high in antioxidants, has a high, a lot of, uh, good stuff going for it. And so a lot of the kids are drinking it and as an alternative to coffee. And so a lot of the kids, yeah, the kids, are you part of that? No, I am. I am (laughs) definitely, I, I, am a tea drinker. I've, I've drunk tea all my life. And, um, and as well as, I mean, Southerners, of course, we love our sweet tea, but, um, uh, I fell in love with it, of course, in Japan where I got it and started drinking it unsweet. And since then I've just been, you know. Doing it, And I think it's catching on, especially because of the, the health properties as well as the culture behind it.
2: I mean, as I sit here sipping my coffee, I, I think it's always interesting how you go to other countries and their hot beverage of choice is going to be tea. You know, mm-hmm. go, to, go to England <laughs> when we were in Turkey, everywhere every we every, went. Not
0: even every meal, every time we sat down before yes.
2: handing us tea.
1: There, there's a really, really funny line in Ted Lasso about tea. And when he first gets to London, the, his new boss offers him tea. And she said, how do you take your tea? And he says, usually back to the counter. Cause somebody's made a huge mistake. <laughs> He's from Kansas. <laughs> his character is.
0: Didn't get much sleep on the plane. So anything you got a little boost of caffeine should do the trick. You know, a uh, mochaccino, frappuccino, any coffee thing, as long as I can't taste a hint of coffee, it's good. How do you take your tea? Well, usually I take it right back to the counter. Cause someone's made a horrible mistake. <laughs> when in Rome, right? <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Okay. Mm. Uh Mmm. Well. You know, I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. No, thank you. Welcome to England.
1: (laughs) It makes me think every time I see that now, when I think of you, Neil, and your love for hot brown tea,
2: (laughs) hot brown water is what he calls it. I'm going to date myself every time I think about having hot tea. I think back to Jean-Luc Picard and mm-hmm. T. Earl Grey hot from the replicator. Right.
0: <laughs> um I I think that this is uh there is a lot of interest out there in it and there's um uh it's interesting to see whether or not he's going to be able to breed the kind of plants that do well because right now they're they seem to be doing well and whatnot but I'm sure there's going to be breeds and and different things that they find that works better for them so uh he he does want to expand into oolong and yellow teas and all mm-hmm. the different varieties
1: what's the growing cycle for a like tea like how long is it going to take to get those plants producing leaves that you can make tea? Are they already oh they've been
0: doing it i mean so it doesn't
1: take a... years and years mm-hmm. even though they'll last for no. 1500 years that no i mean take...
0: <clears throat> part of it was he was given plants by a guy who got uh, a friend of his who got A hold of some, and so they were already ready to produce. But as soon as they put out new shoots, they're ready to be harvested. That's cool. The thing is, they've got to refine it because I mean they they have two or three acres, and it produces like two pounds of tea. So it's it's a matter of expansion and and getting it to where it's in production and and big enough to where they can you know uh uh have enough for commercially available use. Um, Stupid question. How long does it take to dry out the leaves? They have dryers in the back and it, it, the, the answer, unfortunately, is it depends. Um, the, the, it, it, it's not long because one of the secrets to tea is that the fresher the leaves, the better the taste. Right. And so they try and dry them overnight, you know, and, and, and get them going as soon as they can.
1: Well, I'm guessing also, since you're talking about these new shoots, like somebody's walking through the field, picking, picking by hand, every leaf. Yep that's
0: yep. some job that's right. some labor there it is definitely labor intensive which is part of the reason you know they're slow to expand i guess so uh, and, and they're probably initially just going to offer the tea
2: at the tea house yeah. there gotcha. and you can't take all the leaves because if you take all the leaves then the plant dies right and and um so it's only
0: the new leaves are the the best or what they're taking and so they they you know uh they're just picking the, the top stuff and then they they have a plan for each plant to grow in a certain manner. So they're taking them off the side so it can continue to put out branches and, and grow.
2: Pretty impressive. That's neat. Mm. Yeah. And how much tea did he bring you?
0: I didn't get a okay. single what, touch I, of tea. I had a single cup while I was mm. there. And mm. so that's, that's all the tea that I had. I, of course, I didn't want to take. They're still getting off the ground. So, you know, taking some in commercial bags is just... Uh, yeah.
2: Know, no, I'm messing uncute. with you. Yeah. Messing with you. But that's still more tea than you... Hey, Ava. it was a
0: beautiful day. It was one of those, you know, typical fall days and the weather was nice. The grounds, as you can see from the story, is beautiful. It's got water features out there and the the place itself is is amazing. Working hard working for the hard Bureau. For the far, somebody <laughs> has to do it.
1: I, that same day, Avery and I were in lovely Benton, Louisiana, mm-hmm. working hard. Yep. Shooting
2: we, guns. Yep. We went out to do? the... I, you know, I, I will go into that in just a moment because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the, the 10th Louisiana Farm Bureau Sporting Place shoot, uh, which goes to benefit the Ag in the Classroom Foundation and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Foundation, which funds the Linda and Wayne Zahnbrekker Scholarships. Um, they had about, about almost 20 teams come out and compete. First, and then, I'm going to interrupt you. You did a really good job getting all of those names right. And well, hey, it just flowed.
1: I'm, I'm impressed.
2: It's like I've been here for... It's like you've uh, done this before. ...a hot minute. I'm uh, impressed. That's oh, a mouthful. You. Appreciate that. Um, but yeah, the, the money... 20 all, teams-ish. Yeah. And so um, then there were the, the um, raffles as well. Uh, I didn't win. There, which, yeah, we, we all contributed to that. Um, did not win. Did not win at all, but that's okay, because uh, it's not about winning. But, the students won. Oh, the students. I'm going to tell you now, the best <laughs> score... I was was meaning the the fundraiser scholarship. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I got you now. Yeah. uh, I didn't catch you. Sorry. But. I'm not that quick today. 4-H and FFA students. Yeah, the 4-H shooters. Good Lord. One of them had a, so you fire a hundred rounds in this whole thing, okay? You're Mm going to be trying to hit a hundred clay pigeons. One guy, one, I'm trying to remember which student it was, but it was one of the 4-H shooting sports. Uh, student kids uh, got a 97 the highest score for any adult was an 89 yeah it was nuts I mean it was that said I shot a 39 okay which means that if you're moving and I have a 20 gauge shotgun there is a 61% chance that I will miss you I'm a little bit larger than a clay pigeon you are So I would probably hit you. That's true, but was that a threat? No, no, because I don't. I I didn't even own the twenty gauge I was using (laughs) there. I want to get one because I love it. Was it looked like fun? I would have loved
1: to been. I was shooting photos, not
2: Mm -hmm. shotguns. I was uh, shooting video and shotguns, so I'd put down one to shoot with the other. But it really is a lot of fun, and I think that uh, the fact that COVID had put this off a whole year and a half mm-hmm. probably hurt the turnout a little bit and it, it landed at a different time than, right. than normal so we're going to go back to spring next year for the 11th and really hope to to see more folks out there but it it's always beautiful up there at los paloma uh it you're just kind of in the middle of of the woods and uh kind of just disappear off there in the yeah out,
1: out just Away from the world. It was
2: nice. I enjoy, even though I don't go out and do much sporting clay shooting on my own, I enjoy the opportunities to do it. It's just a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, one thing you see about those types of events, and I know you've been to these types of fundraisers for Farm Bureau too, Neil, but like seeing the people, getting everybody together Mm -hmm. and the teams and the interaction afterwards over lunch or, you know, just that kind of thing is what Farm Bureau like, where that's where Farm Bureau shines, it seems like, because whenever people are together and, and you know, interacting and, and you know, camaraderie, just, the camaraderie, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you get when you're shooting with a team. Yeah. I mean, you get the whole day of the other
0: thing I want to say on. is that there's not many organizations that you'd want coworkers to get together armed. <laughs> You know, it's <laughs> just shooting at stuff. And, oh, man, uh, true story. You know, and you got to have a lot of love in, a, in an organization to have that happen.
2: We had a good team. It was uh, Kyle McCann, assistant to the president, uh, myself, uh, Wendell Miley, who the is ringers. the yeah. the safety director here. So we, we had the safety director there to make sure we were all staying safe. And the retired uh, assistant to the president, Jim Monroe, was with us. And, Another ringer. Uh, yep. Uh, so know. basically,
0: they carried you. Is that oh, is that the story here? That sure. is the
2: story. Uh, yeah i I did not help the team much <laughs> at all. I wish I could say that I did, but I had a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, sounds like my fun. my shoulder wasn't sore. Life was good.
1: <laughs> I was very jealous shooting photos, and I was like, "Man, I want to, I want a shotgun. I want to be shooting." It looks it looked like it just it gave me the bug. I was at home editing these photos I took
2: and I was looking up shotguns <laughs> I was like I want to go do this there's one at academy that I looked up that's only like 480 bucks that mm. I'm seriously that's thinking probably about the one
1: that all these these 4 H'ers were shooting
2: with no I'm certain they had <laughs> the some of those $2,500 custom stock uh 40 different chokes based on what they were doing <laughs> that was kind of wild
1: I want to talk about my story because we're getting a little bit long. So, for any of our listeners, I'm sorry, but I got to talk about this story. Neil got to go and enjoy this beautiful fall day out on a tea farm Friday. This week, I went out and enjoyed a beautiful fall day in a cotton field, mm-hmm. which is probably, That's like your favorite. Probably my favorite. Sorry for all the sugar cane and rice folks out there. And the corn farmers, I'm family, but uh, cotton is where my heart is, I think. But I got to go out to a fa- cotton farm in uh, Oak Grove, and they are picking an incredible crop right now. And to make it even better,
0: have y'all done market prices the today? The prices are absolutely nuts. They're, they're insane. 10 a pound. Mm-hmm. $1.10 a pound? Yep. Good Lord. That's where so, they closed yesterday. That's insane,
1: because that's even better than... <laughs> these guys are tickled. There's some cotton on TV right now, but they're picking... Uh, well above average, uh, for their about farm. Three
0: bales is what I
1: heard. For well, this farm in particular was around that. Yes, but I mean, it's. I think the statewide average is around eleven hundred pounds right now, mm-hmm. which is a little over two bales. And uh, to add another bale to that, on mm-hmm. top of these great prices, these farmers are just tickled. Uh, knock on wood. But one thing we talked about in my story, I talked with the Rawls. Family, it's three brothers and a, and a father, it all farm together in West Carroll Parish, and they're like, "Yeah, this is cool, but inputs are going up. Mm-hmm. Fertilizer prices, fertilizer are prices are way crazy. Right and they now. talked about that, but also this great crop they're having right now is good, but it it is necessary to to offset the not so good years that they've." Had in previous years, or will again have, and the dad said the quote that that sealed it for me. He said, "An old Jenner told me once, whenever I got into farming, he said it's like a pendulum. You're gonna have good years, and you're gonna have bad years, and you got to learn to make it in the middle." Is what he what the, what the the lesson the life lesson he learned, and you could hear that echoed by the all the, the sons that were farming. They're like, I mean, this is good and all, but. Like we got to we need these kind of years to make it through the not so great years. But they were tickled and the crop was great. And I just had the best day out there in my favorite crop shooting drone
0: video. It's hard to beat good drone video from a, uh, a big, pretty white cotton field. And Carl shared that uh, those pictures from from some of that uh, on our Instagram and Twyla uh, accounts on Facebook. And so you should go check those out. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, actually, yeah. today I'm going to post uh, just a clip, some of my drone footage that didn't
1: get, uh, it's better than the stuff we're looking at on TV right now, I must say. Sorry.
0: The December contracts are at a 113. They uh. just showed on RFP. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 113.
2: Mean, for cotton. Yeah, because your guy was saying, uh, Mr. Rawls was saying that, uh, you know, 70 cents a pound oh, is, yeah, about that what they, is what they were getting back in the 80s. In the 70s. 70s. I'm sorry. I'll tell you you. the
1: quote because I didn't use it in the story, but he said, When I started farming in the 70s, uh, we would get about 72 cents, 74 cents for a a pound of cotton. And even still today, when the markets aren't at a dollar, they're typically landing somewhere in that range, you know, even still today. And Mm -hmm. input costs, cotton pickers, all this equipment these guys are using, I mean, they have gone through the roof relative to.
2: I was going to say inflation alone takes out what they're actually making. I mean, if 72 cents a pound in the 70s is not the same as 72 cents a pound in the 2020s. Yep. Granted, true.
1: Technology's gotten better. Cotton crops have gotten better. Farmers have gotten better practices. They can produce better, but that also costs money to produce these better crops, these higher yielding crops. But they have to do that to be even to get close to break even. So right. it's kind of a, it was a wild thing. And I, I actually did have a conversation with my dad yet again. Every time I go to a cotton story, I almost have to call dad and be like, y'all going to get into cotton this coming year. And I think it fell flat yet again. Hmm. So mm. Something to do with the, the stress of growing a crop that late into the, this late into the season. Yeah. You can love it only so much.
2: Well, I, I remember 2008 Going up there after Hurricane Gustav and riding through cotton fields in they a were boat. Shredded. Nah. I mean, it was we nah. were we saw big white fluffy bowls of cotton floating, floating in water. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's hard to pick it whenever it's on the
0: ground.
2: Yeah. yeah. So anyway, well, it's good
0: to see that they had a good year this it
1: was, year. They were, they were very tickled about a good year. Yeah. So I, I, I just had to continues. share some some of that good news about my favorite crop.
2: We appreciate that and. The Cotton has a smell about it that is just so, it's so clean, so pretty.
1: I I tried to ask. I was was telling Brittany when I was on the phone with her that morning driving, uh, I was driving down to, uh, up to Oak Grove and I was coming through Concordia Parish and I saw some cotton on the side of the road and I was like, oh, I can just smell it now. I'm getting excited. I really couldn't smell it yet, but uh, I was like, I can just see it and I'm smelling it. And she's like, what? what is wrong with you? <laughs> what, it, what are you talking about? Your smell? You don't smell anything. I'm like, oh, it's a smell. There's a smell. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, what does it smell like? I said, I don't know my childhood, <laughs> Yeah, but it's hard to put into words. And I actually asked the Rawls guys that too. And they were just kind of like, I, I mean, clean. Yeah. It's a clean, like smell, fresh. That's what mm-hmm. it smells mm-hmm. like.
0: Like fresh linen.
1: Except any candle you've ever smelled in a pottery barn <laughs> or a bath and body works doesn't come close i'll say no. that
2: no so. i find those just overpowering and yeah. and that's that's a whole other episode of the twiler after show. Another episode, speaking
0: of which we are hopefully not going to go another month without doing one of these twiler podcasts for all uh, of our listeners i'm sorry
2: well it's we've it's, had life happen <laughs> i mean that's the reality we've been on multiple shoots neil has shot things that haven't even made air like a pollinator story uh i'm full full disclosure um, you know, my, my mother had a fall, uh, so that means I've got doctor's appointments and those sorts of things. My my son has doctor's appointments and the like, too. Yeah. Um, and Monica's mother had pneumonia, um, yeah. and so
0: she's been with her in the hospital, so uh, we haven't seen much of her around, and she's getting better. Mon- Monica's mother is getting better, so hopefully, it continues. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we have done other podcasts. We've done the Grassroots Government podcast since our fortieth, right? Mississippi oh, yeah. Duvall. and I'll, I'm going to put a link to that because you I sure think people it. should check that one out yeah. too. It's gonna, it's
2: it's worth listening to. I'm going to throw a little
1: promo in there right there, there. but we've been busy. Cross but promotion. Hopefully, we can uh, get back on the horse and and really stick this. Uh, through the rest of the year. We'll see. Yeah.
2: We're going right. to try
1: to make that promise to you, listeners.
2: <laughs> My calendar look crazy, but that's... Uh...
1: <laughs> Calendars are going to look crazy. It may be just a couple of us from yeah. now
0: on, but yep. we're going to make it happen. All right. Well, on behalf of Carl Wiggers, Avery Davidson, and myself, we'll uh, see you next time. Bye. It's not the same. It's not.
2: It's not. I don't know why you did that. I don't know why I did you it You just either. ruined it. I did. If you can, subscribe
0: to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening,
1: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show.
2: Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twilight After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture.